1990, Chungfleeting set to the task of returning Kilmarnock Football Club to its traditional place in the Scottish game. Backed by a squad of experienced professionals, he, and later Tommy Burns, steered Killy back to the top flight. Billy Stark was one of the most eye-catching of the so-called Dad's Army signings. His achievements would be unthinkable in the modern Scottish game, having won multiple trophies with Aberdeen and St Mirren before moving to Celtic later in his career. But what of his time with Killy? The two spells as a player and the pivotal role in the dugout? In this episode of Killy Histories, we hear a full and honest appraisal from the midfield star. I'm Gordon Gillen, and this is Billy Stark. So I guess the first question, Billy, and this is something that I'm sure you've been asked many times before, so forgive me, but the Burns-Stark managerial team, what made that so successful? Uh, how you define success is always a, a, a difficult thing to do. I think uh, you can look at the, the partnership. You, you look at the manager, first of all, that's the, the main thing. He's, he's the man uh, having experience you know, being an assistant and being a manager, the the gulf between the two is huge. I don't think people realise that. I think some have come to realise that when they've made the jump, when you're the man that's standing there with the full responsibility, it's a very, very different uh, pressure from being assistant. So uh, I think the first thing to say is Tommy's uh, personality, his drive, all those things that make a manager uh, were the most important part of it. My job, as I saw it, was to supplement him and to assist him in every way possible. Having sort of been a player uh, for the previous, I don't know, 15 to 20 years, you, you obviously look at how the dynamics work between a manager and assistant, and it's very different in lots of cases. But uh, Tommy's, Tommy and I's were, 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 was based on a, a sort of friendship that had formed at the coaching courses down at Largs. Previously we had been opponents, me playing right mid, him playing left mid, but me for St Mirren and Aberdeen and him for Celtic, and then joining Celtic and becoming a teammate. So that, that was a sort of journey towards a, a friendship. Uh, but the, the key part of that, I think, was the, the coaching courses at Largs where we, we were in the same group and we, f- we sort of aligned in terms of the way we wanted to play football, Tommy in the best Celtic traditions, uh, and aligned to that was me being brought up under Alec Ferguson, who uh, liked wingers, he liked attacking football. So, as I say, we, we sort of formed a bond about how we wanted to play the game because it was so many different ways. Uh, so, we sort of, I'm, I'm, you're, always, you're always searching your memory to, to see if it was exactly as you, as you remember it, but I think we sort of formed a, a union there that if we went forward into management, there may be an opportunity to work together, uh, and we were lucky enough to be able to do that. I'd wrongly assumed that you'd been together at Celtic for longer th- yeah. than you actually had, because yeah. you're, because that relationship was so, was so strong, so I hadn't realised it was kind of through the coaching courses. Yeah. But... Did you have an idea? So when you picked up that um, 
and I'm, I'm not thinking just yet about joining the club as a player, but when you fitted into the coaching side of it with Tommy, did you have to adjust? Was it was it smooth sailing straight away, or, or how did you adapt? I don't think it was ever smooth sailing in, in management, and, and of course, Tommy and I were just coming out of playing uh, and went straight into management, so there's, there's lots of things to take on board that give you a fright, if I'm honest, uh, because the best part is being a player, without a shadow of a doubt. Management's an extension of that, it keeps you involved in the game, uh, and it has different challenges, obviously. So, uh, so no, it wasn't wasn't always smooth sailing. That's for sure, because even uh, having formed a friendship and as, as, as the coaching course, as I say, but also as teammates, it's a very different thing when I'm effectively working for him. So he's the boss, and uh, you have to then see how he manages that and set against that. It was his first management job, uh, as it was mine. Oh, tell a lie, I'd, I'd been sort of previous nine, ten months at Hamilton Mackey's as assistant to Billy McLaren. So I had, I had a wee insight to it. Tommy was obviously on the coaching staff under Jim Fleeton, so we were obviously picking up things as we went along, but uh, until you're thrust into the... And come on, it's a big club with big aspirations and big uh, things that the supporters felt should be done. One of them being getting to the Premier League, which would have taken a wee bit of time, but uh, we managed to get promotion in the first season and then stay stay up the second season. So to answer your question, no, it wasn't plain sailing, but we were still learning on the job, so to speak. I don't think it will come as much of a surprise to you if, if I said that when I've spoken about, so I've spoken to, I'd say, half a dozen um players from, from that team of 89 through to 94 and Tommy's blueprint so to speak, his blueprint and his fingerprint is over everything, every conversation comes back to, to Tommy quite often very quickly and, and so Tom Brown and Mavis Riley in particular yeah. um, eulogises about Tommy but what he said was the one person who could, and I'm speaking for Mavis, he didn't say this exactly but the one person who could put a hand on the shoulder when he was having one of his kind of blow-up moments was Billy Stark. Did you ever feel his his fury, or or was it always? Are you always the the, the calming influence? Uh, was I on the end of his fury? Yes. Uh, no, we had some heated discussions. I would say uh, mainly around you know picking a team, which was always ultimately the manager's decision. But my my perception of being an assistant was to to challenge him, to put forward my views, and then when Tommy decided what we, what we did, then 100% on board, and, and I think that worked well. But I think I think any partnership, you have to look at the the, the characteristics of it and the, the characteristics of the player, of the two individuals. Tommy was a huge personality, loved to laugh, and, and I think that's the thing that, that really would come over when you were speaking to people. They, they would talk about the, the rages, as you say, which is always part of a management. I always remember Ali Ferguson telling me that, that uh, sometimes you have to show them you're angry. Uh, he was very good at that, Fergie, but uh, Tommy, with his red hair, wasn't far behind when he, when he lost the plot, so to speak. But the thing about Tommy was that 
uh, you know, whilst you mentioned that you were putting a hand on their shoulder and all that type of thing, Tommy was the sa- of the same ilk. He'd been the one that had distributed the the rage, uh, but he was also one that then came round and made sure that there was no grudges held, that uh, it was part of the job, and he, he got players back, back on side very quickly as well. One more question about this, and I'm really interested in the, 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 the dynamic and, and how you work together. You were both playing, at times fairly regular in the team, mm-hmm. together. So where, when were those moments that you'd, you'd flesh out the ideas for the tactical side? And I know it was quite a, a set, the kind of this, the, the pressing tactic, but when did you actually dis- have time to discuss that? Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> I'm just trying to remember the name of the wee, the wee uh, cafe that we used to go to for a plate of soup after after leaving Rugby Park, it was nowhere up back up the road on the run about the roundabout where the garage is and the way up the road to Glasgow. Uh, anyway, we, we used to go in there for a plate of soup every day. It was exotic, exotic flavours of soup, I can remember that. Carrot and pineapple and all the rest of it. We loved it. And so we, we would, that's where a lot of sort of key decisions and key discussions were held, to be honest. As you say, we trained uh, as players I can maybe go into that a bit more deeply later, but we, we trained effectively. We trained as players, and I had, had discussions before training, obviously. But after training, that was the convivial atmosphere that 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 was relaxed, and we could chuck things about, and uh, we come to some major decisions during that that uh, player soup. Uh, so, uh, you know that that was the. The key, the relationship was was we didn't we didn't socialise together much. I remember I, I was at a Bill Costley's place, Loch Green, down in Trun, and uh, Tommy and Rosemary took us down there pretty early on uh, for a, a lovely meal. And and but that that was the extent of socialising. We we Tommy had his own set of pals, and I did as well. Ours was a, a friendship based on. Football really, uh, families got to know each other really well. Coming to games, the kids and all the rest of it, so that was great. And they suffered as much as us, probably even more, in terms of the pressures that were brought to bear in management. So, uh, so I that 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 was the way the relationship worked. As you say, both playing at different times. Tommy played more regularly than me. And and just to touch on the the playing side, I I signed. Tommy left Celtic in I think November, December with his testimonial and joined Kilmarnock and then I uh, I had been injured that whole season for Celtic and I came back and played the last two league games in the cup final against Aberdeen in 1990 and then I decided I'd, I'd an offer to stay at Celtic from Billy McNeil but I was 33 33 at the time so Big Valley was going to be changing, bringing in new new players, and I wanted to play, so I decided to take Jim Fleetney's offer to go to Kilmarnock. Obviously, Tommy had a huge influence in that as well, but things didn't really work out for me in that first period as a player. I, as I say, I had I had partly ruptured my Achilles, which they took the whole season to sort of find out, and it was only at the end of the season I played. So I effectively only played three games that season, and. Uh, I then had subsequent pro- problems off the back of that injury 
the injury was fine, but I was getting calf strains, hamstrings, just at, at, at the vetting stage of your career. So that that's no one I look on fondly. I, I, I recognise what a great club Kilmarnock was, and so I was disappointed the way things worked out in the playing side. So I then left for Hamilton Ackies to get into the management side as player assistant manager to Billy McLaren, as I say. And then at the end of that season, I can remember <coughs> we had uh, we were going for promotion to the Premier League. Jim had left and Tommy had taken over as caretaker for the last number of games. And they came to Douglas Park and the, the support that he got from the support was incredible. It was a hot day. We had to win the game. Uh, and I think Kilmarnock won the game I can't remember what the scoreline was but it was just the Kilmarnock fans just singing the whole the whole game uh, in support of Tommy was something that struck you uh, and so at the end of that season we missed out on goal average goal difference to get promoted to the Premier League and we won the Challenge Cup as well so it was a really successful season for Hamilton uh, but Tommy came to the house at the end of that season having just got the job and true to his word, he wanted me to come as assistant. So, you know, that, that was a, a no-brainer. It was uh, just everything I would have wanted. And uh, we went from there. You've answered a couple of questions that I thought was being very clever with a couple of questions yeah. I had. And you've preempted them. That tells me they weren't clever enough questions because you already know the answer. But it's really, it's really interesting because I did wonder why, having managed to bring in a player of your quality... But it was injury, so I, I hadn't realised that. Yeah, so. I mean, I mean that, that that's not to make an excuse about that. It, it was just niggling about for a week or two with a calf injury, come back, play, not quite 100%, blah, blah. So, But the interesting thing was when I came back as assistant to Tommy, it wasn't with a view to playing at the outset. Uh, Tommy was the player, so I, I would be the one on the touchline that was trying to sort of see that big picture because it's different when you're in the heat of the battle as a player uh, and that, that that was working reasonably well we had a an aging squad uh, the likes of Tommy myself when, when I played George McCluskey very importantly Craig, uh, Craig Patterson so all, all sort of mid 30s which was I think we were dubbed dad's army but my, the interesting point of view from my side of things was I ended up coming into the team can't remember just when you, you would have the stats to back that up whether it was midway through the season or whatever we took a wee sort of rocky period and I went into play as a as a centre half as a sweeper which I'd never done before uh, Tommy had the idea that uh, with the experience organising it was Mark Skillen and Raymond Montgomery and Andy Millen that, that played alongside when I played and uh, we started to get results through through the organisation we didn't lose as many goals defensively not no because of any particularly defensive attributes that I had which were minimal uh, but the, the talking and organising seemed to make a wee difference and uh, it, it, in some ways Jim Stewart was the goalkeeping coach who's who's actually the goalkeeping coach for the under-19s with me just now. So, great guy, Jim, and a Kilmarnock legend, obviously. And Jim was left on the touchline to sort of manage any sort of information in terms of substitutions that, that Tommy felt should be made, uh, which was my role previously. So, that that's the way that worked out in that season that we got promotion. 
you, as part of the management team, mm-hmm. if you were to be offered a player of the quality of Billy Stark, Scottish Cup winner with the St. Mun, yeah. League winner with Aberdeen, Scottish yeah. Cup winner with yeah. Aberdeen, and then going to Celtic, winning trophies at Celtic, how would you respond to the opportunity to have a player like that offered to you? Yeah, I mean, I, I think, you know, as I say, Jim Fleeton had had been in that position and, and decided to sign me as he did with Craig Patterson, with Tommy most importantly. Uh, and, you know, Tommy then did that with George McCluskey, who was a huge player for us. A fantastic player, George McCluskey. And I think the Commander fans appreciated that. He, he, he was dealt a sort of bum hand at Celtic to be honest with you because he was there with Charlie Nicholas and Frank McGarvey and uh, Brian McClare and George always seemed to be the one for, for spells that, that, that was the, the, the one that was coming on as a sub uh, so I think he relished the fact I'd had him at Hamilton as a player uh, so I knew him from that point of view and Tommy knew him as a teammate at Celtic in previous years so it was an inspired piece of business by Tommy to, to take him because George was instrumental along with Bobby Williamson to give us that ability and that strength and that security on the ball that he gave us getting us up the pitch so uh, so no I mean I can see why you're asking the question I think you would if you, if you had somebody with that track record and career behind them you would have to obviously assess their fitness levels and all the rest of it and that's where I think I, I, I felt for Jim because I wasn't able to produce what he probably felt I should. And as I say, using excuses, it would be just those, it was constant, it was groins, it was calves, it was, the, the actual Achilles was fine, yeah. but it was attendant sort of things, things that came off of that because of compensating for it. How did you have to adjust your style? Because yeah. I mean, I'm, no, I'm no footballer, but I know enough to know that Achilles... Yes is mobility to a certain extent as yeah. well so how did you have to adjust your style yeah no as I say the Achilles was fully repaired there was no problem with that at all and, and when I came back uh, I didn't have those injuries I think if I'm being honest and it's no it's no a, a criticism of the previous management team or Jim and Frank Coulson and Jimmy Sherry I, I, I should train as a player but when I, when I came back and train, I, I was able to tailor my training as Tommy did towards the circumstances I was in uh, so I didn't train fully the games were the important thing so I think that was something we were able to control and that was a big big factor in being able to stay fit but I think the other thing about Tommy what Tommy felt was as, as I did that we wanted to play the best calibre of football we could and so me as a midfield player with previous experiences as a midfield player always wanted to try and pass the ball Luckily, I had Raymond Montgomery beside me who, and I say this not lightly, there's not that many people that are, or players that I've came across that loved defending. And Raymond was one of them. And he was great in terms of that. So, uh, you know, there was, there was a balance there. Mark Skillen had good legs. Andy Millen was a great all-round player. Not the quickest, but he had everything else. He could pass the ball. He was hard as nails and he was fully committed uh, so you know the, the balance roundabout allowed me to come in and play in that position because it doesn't really make sense when you've not been shown any defensive capabilities as a midfield player for the preceding 15 years to, to go in and do that but I think the, 
the organisational side was what was what paid off for us. Thinking about, I'm thinking specifically about that team in 1993-94. I suppose we're talking yeah. as well about the kind of the end yeah. of the previous season. It's a team full of leaders. Pretty much every player in there either would be known as being a leader, yeah, like a Tommy or a Monty. Or maybe leading by example, even like a, like a Mavis Riley, somebody who's yeah. kind of does yeah, it yeah. By, by showing rather. Yeah. yeah. Who would be the leader in amongst the leaders? How did that dynamic work in terms of if somebody needed a. So, if it, so Mavis told me one story about Bobby Williamson that season, I think it was at Wraith Rovers, essentially him and Tommy going, going down nose to nose in the changing rooms. But who would be the person? I'm just, I'm just really curious as to how, when it's strong winning personalities yeah. how do they manage each other yeah I mean it's a good question that, and, I, and I think it's a difficult one to answer the, the, there wasn't one overriding apart from Tommy as a manager of course but he loved winding people up anyway but Bobby Williamson was a moaning face uh, he was a one man forward line Bobby I mean you know we'll go into that about how we played in the Premier League which was very different from how we played to get out of the first division George McCluskey was, was a big character as well Craig Patterson in his own quiet way had Real authority, you know. It's sometimes the chemistry of a group is down to a bit of luck as well. There's no doubt. You in, in those days, you know, predominantly Scottish players. You were able to do your homework before you signed players, or or you knew of them through over the years because of the goldfish bowl at Scottish football. Nowadays, you, you don't get the chance to do that. So, you know that there was a bit of luck involved in terms of the chemistry of that group. But I don't remember. You know, you're, you're talking about leaders that like to win. Everybody shows that in a different way. Sometimes not vocal, but leading by example, Mavis Riley, for example. But we had so many characters that were had a dry sense of humour as well, Mavis Riley being one of them. Andy Mullen, Tam had that in them as well, George McCluskey. So it was a really happy time, and I think that's something that you associate with success even at the very highest level when you look at Man City and the rest of it now you can see there's a synergy there in that group so you know there, there was a, a degree of luck involved in that but there was there was enough and Jim Fleet has to take a lot of credit he brought a lot of the players who were instrumental in keeping us in the Premier League Ali Mitchell Mark Riley Mark was a struggling left back and we, we Tommy converted him into a midfield dynamo there's no other word for it who sparked because that pressing game that we played, Bobby Williamson, Matt Riley, you know, Bobby in the front area, Matt Riley in the middle area, were the key components that their appetite and ability to, to go and press and be physical uh, was was really a big, big part of that, that team. This might be tricky to say. Is there a signing or someone who may have been there already, but did anyone stand out that's particularly impressive during your kind of George McCluskey. George, George McCluskey. George, George McCluskey is six feet one, six feet two, well made, can run, although he didn't particularly like running very much. But uh, <laughs> when when he was encouraged in uh, punctuation marks by Tommy to run, he ran. So he did his bit, but his ability, as I spoke about earlier, was, was phenomenal. You know, Bobby had that work rate, Bobby Williamson had that work rate and aggression and and uh, running power that, that was instrumental. But, but George had uh, the, the ability that, that could beat players, 
great finishing ability, obviously, but he brought people into play, and uh, he was one that, even for me playing at the back, if there was no room to get into a midfield player, you could get into Toby, as he was called, and at the stick, and for Tommy, the midfield player, always having an option to play it to George or to stick Bobby through in a, a forward run. You know, they're, they're, they're things that, you know, they, they come together, but there is a degree of planning in it in terms of getting that balance right. The availability of record, like, of, of, of games from Fulkomarnock in that period is thin. Yeah. But when you see the touches, so people talk about, rightly, an Erenenko or an Ian Durant. Yeah. But I think it's fair to say that his technical ability would be there. right up there. Yeah, absolutely. Right absolutely. up there. There's absolutely no doubt. But that's a good point you make, that uh, George should be seen in the same light, you know, certainly as equal. The goals you scored in your career, now everybody's got everyone on film. We, we were quite fortunate, or reasonably fortunate, that was some were captured, but you know, you go back and it's grainy footage at best, if there's any. Just to, to touch a little bit more on you as the player, is there a particular performance or a run of games? What was the time at Kilmarnock where you thought, yep, this is me showing what I can really do? Uh, that, 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 that's a good question and, it, and it's very difficult. There's, there's nothing stands out, to be honest with you. I think that maybe tells a story in terms of uh, the contribution that you you made and against what you would like to have made. Uh, obviously, Kilmarnock in the first division, the, the market they were in, you know, without sounding pompous, they, they wouldn't have been in the market for a Billy Stark at 25 or, or a Tommy Burns at 25 or whatever. So uh, so you have to put it in context. But no, I mean, I think I, I, I was never a demonstrative type of player, never, never a fan's favourite at any club, to be honest with you. Uh, went about my business. I think players, teammates and management appreciated you. So you, you went about your business in a, your own quiet way and tried to bring your qualities to to the game. That was always the way that you approached the game. What was I good at? What was I not so good at? Could I improve the things I wasn't so good at? I, I, I did because I was I was taught very early on when people could see as a midfield player, a box-to-box midfield player, which there's not many nowadays, the way that the, the formations are, are formed. My mantra that was taught to me by Alec Ferguson, Ricky McFarlane, was to get behind the ball as quickly as possible. The minute it broke down, get behind the ball as quickly as possible, get into that shape, make it difficult for teams to play through you, because I wasn't a tackler. Obviously, aerial combat, I was decent because of my size, but the the qualities that you have, you you wanted to bring to the, any game that you played, I think it's a true saying. In fact, I heard somebody saying that last night, something I was watching, that when you finish playing, you become a far better player because people remember the, the better games that you had rather than the, the stinkers. So I really couldn't answer your question. There, there wasn't a particular spell. I, I mean, what, what maybe sums up, what maybe sums up uh, the way we're talking and the way things went for me injury-wise, there was a game we played Clyde Bank. Oh, no, we played the Airdrie, I beg your pardon. We played the Airdrie at, at Rugby Park in a, it was early on in the season. I can't remember if it was a League Cup game or a League game. And I got out of my bed in the morning and strained my groin. <laughs> Incredible. That's the only time that happened, right enough. But So I, I played the game and I managed to score. I think we lost the game 4-3. I think only Coyle might have got a hat-trick, actually. 
so that that sort of sums up I, I, I sort of got this injury getting out of bed in the morning and decided to play with it as, as we most of us did in those days nowadays I think players are a bit more precious to, and maybe led by physiotherapy and sports science that they're, they're, they're not in condition to play but we played pretty much with injuries in our day and uh, managed to do okay that day and scored a goal that we didn't get the, the win but it probably, probably sums up the way that first spell at Kilmarnock went for me It surprises me a bit that you wouldn't have considered yourself, or you wouldn't have been a fan's a fan's favourite what is it No I mean I, mean, I, I, I remember uh, seeing myself on TV for the first time and funny enough it was Kilmarnock at Kilmarnock Rugby Park uh, where uh, Davy Proven and Gordon Smith were the wingers it was their St Myrne had been we were in the first division we had a solid season finishing sixth the old first division uh, the old uh, first division the Premier League had been formed the reason the season I signed for St Myrne actually mm-hmm. so the first season we, we finished sixth but the, the start of the following season we got drawn against Kilmarnock in the League Cup section and the game at Rugby Park was televised and I remember seeing myself and it's not what I pictured it's a funny thing it's not what I pictured because I, I can say quite properly that when I was playing well I was elegant I was this I was that and when I wasn't playing well I was lazy because I, I had a I, I, was, I, was, I wasn't I was the sort of profile that midfield players had I was 6 feet 2 as a midfield player so I was never the quickest feet in there or busy or my, my job was running the length of the pitch. I covered as much ground as Andy, I think. So, you know, managers certainly recognised that, that I was far from lazy. But, you know, r- running about the ball, I was maybe languid and, and maybe no like a Matt Riley or a Gordon Strachan or a Paul McStay or whatever. Uh, so, as I say, I got, I got a wee sort of insight that maybe the way people perceive me, uh, you know, when it, when it was a good day, it was tremendous because he was elegant looking, he was this, he was that. When it was a bad day, you may be giving the ball away, you've you, not got that real uh, dynamism that young that smaller players have. Mm-hmm. I, I had an advantage in other ways, being tall, but uh, certainly not in that respect. And you mentioned Mavis Riley there. I think now with, with a player like Mavis, or with Mavis specifically, there's a little bit of revisionism going on because, and he said it himself when I spoke to him, he didn't ever feel very popular with the fans, despite the fact that he worked his socks off. Yeah. But because he was more of a sideways passer. Yeah, yeah. Whereas now, there's very much a, if only we had a Mavis Riley in yeah, the team, yeah. that, kind of, that yeah. kind of work ethic is exactly what we want. Well... I mean, I think that's an interesting point because Mark would tell himself he was no blessed with outstanding ability as a playmaker or anything like that. So the way we wanted to play the game, the, the, it was possession-based because that's Tom Alec Ferguson's training and way of playing was always possession-based. You know, you can maybe say ahead of his time and I think that's maybe a bit strong, but certainly, you know, in, in Scotland, we tended to play up back and then play so it went, went went from the back to the front because you had strikers that could hold the ball up they brought midfield players into play and he played from there whereas now as you can see and sometimes it goes to extremes we play from the goalkeeper 
Uh, so Mark was encouraged when he won the ball to give it to somebody who could play. So that maybe involved a sideways pass or a back pass. As a midfield player growing up, a back pass was a disaster. The crowd got on your back because you passed the ball back. So the, the, the football's evolved and it's changed. But that, that would maybe explain why Mavis wasn't appreciated. But for the, the real people that could see how a team functioned, they would see his value. And, and it, was, it was outstanding. And that's, again, something you're absolutely spot on in terms of what every person I've, I've spoken with, Monty, Tom Black, Bobby Williamson. Tom S- Brown. Tom Brown. Yes, Tom Brown as well. And Mavis, that's the name they all say. Mavis was the guy. Like if, I always ask, is there somebody, and I've asked you the same question, is yeah. there somebody who impressed you? And it's either Monty or Mavis. Yeah. Because this idea, I think with Monty, it's again, as you said, it's making the most of of everything you've got and, and leading by example and wanting yeah. to win the ball. And with Mavis, it, it's very much, he was always there. Yeah. He was reliable. And, and they all come back and, and I, I put that to Mavis and he'd said, yep, he was aware that maybe he wasn't as popular with the supporters as he might have liked to have been, but he knew that his teammates valued him. Yeah. And that was enough for him. Absolutely. As a, I mean, I think, I think when you reflect on it over a career managing and playing, the ones that, that really... You appreciate the most. No, no, somebody that was born with a God-given talent and and had a a really good career. No, it's the it's the ones that made the maximum out of what they had. I had another one, Peter Grant at Celtic. It was the exact same. He wasn't the best player in the world, but he trained every day, just like Mavis trained every day as if it was he's going to be his last training session. And I think he, he 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 gives Tommy a lot of credit for the way Tommy spoke to him about getting the best of himself, looking in the mirror every day. So, so the, you know, that, 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 that's the thing. Sometimes those type of players, it's when they're not playing and the team struggles, that that's when players appreciate what he does. I've been leaving that bit in, Billy, because it's so interesting, but the Kilmarnock fans will be recoiling at the name Peter Grant. They'll yeah, be, I'm, sure. <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure. I just use it as an example. Yep. There's, there's plenty. I mean, Gordon Strachan was a, a, a world-class player mm-hmm. in Scottish terms and... That Paul McStay, absolutely, and I think that's what you, how how you judge players when you train with them. You're lucky enough to train with them, and the way they train every day, to the highest standard they possibly can achieve, and that 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 was something Tommy always drove home. And I think that team, that squad at Kilmarnock, did that. The way we trained was the way we wanted to play. Thank you to Billy Stark for talking about his role in Killy's 1990s resurgence. Later this season, in Killy magazine, Billy will look back at the hugely popular team of 1993-94. This interview was recorded in the summer of 2023 at Hamden Stadium. Killy Histories is a not-for-profit project made for the Kilmarnock FC Former Players Association. Find out more at www.killihistories.com. Don't forget to follow on Twitter and Facebook at Killy Histories. And leave a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. The theme music Clear Progress by scottholmesmusic.com is used under free Creative Commons licence.
I'm Gordon Gillen. See you next time.